Hey guys, welcome back to Chaos Movies. It's been a while since my last uh, podcast on on a movie, uh, taking some time out just to figure out a few things. And um, of course, the first episode I do when I come back is on hands down possibly the the most um, pivotal movie in cinematic universe is the matrix right 1999 the first matrix came out and um after that we had the matrix reloaded in 2003 and then matrix revolutions in 2003 as well now before i get into the actual matrix resurrection um i would just like to give a bit of um information on the first matrix for those that haven't seen it so this podcast is probably going to have like spoilers for the new movie i don't give a shit it's just i don't wait you watch it you want to listen go nuts whatever but i got some passion for the first three maybe the first two the third one was sort of a bit of a Ah, you know, well, it is what it, it is what it is, right? Like the first one was the brainchild of the of the the directors, uh, the the Wachowski brothers at the time. Now they are formerly known as Lana and Lily. <clears throat> they are the directors, writers, producers, and blah blah blah. So, for those who don't know the Matrix, the Matrix is what we know a computer generated dream world. In order to keep our sub, our con, our the conscious minds of a human body in a place where they can live in a world that gives them all the things that the terrestrial beings would get, living in a world to generate a source of energy for the machine world to run their machines and that is batteries so for every human born they farm them so to speak and put and and plug them in to the matrix to generate fuel for their robots because as the story goes on the humans were at war with the machines like similar to Skynet in Terminator, and therefore we polluted the air in uh, in order to scorch the sky, as they say in the Matrix, and stop the sun from essentially producing solar power for the machine world. And they figured out a way to generate their own by forcing the human race deep underground in a, a city known as Zion. And therefore there's always going to be a rebellion behind that and the human race has a rebellion, so on and so on and so on. So the Matrix is essentially a computer-generated dream world that has boundaries inside it and the machines will place things called programs in there uh, and Agent Smith would be one of them and he's a program that basically he keeps, I guess you could say, a watchful eye over anyone entering in and out of the Matrix because the human race figured out a way to hack back in and broadcast their signals back to the matrix so they could go in search for what they know to be the one. 
and the one obviously is Neo, formerly known as Mr. Anderson. So, um, as that story goes on throughout the movie of the first, the second, and the third in the franchise back in the early 2000s, it's a really it's a really cool concept. I mean, we we still think about it today in this current society. Are we in the matrix? Like who would know, right? It's a it's a very crazy thought with with everything goes on and it's also pretty cool to think about um the um the there's actually a term that they've created or a um a scenario and it's called the simulation theory, I think it is, um, which basically s- suggests that we are bodies being grown in a farm and we're hooked up to a, a, a game and we're right now living it. And we're all self-evolving, we're all systematically becoming aware inside the system and so on and so on. Now, it took almost 20 years for them to release a new film called The Matrix Resurrections. And I watched it for the first time last night. Couldn't go to the cinemas because of reasons of my own. And, you know, the trailers trailers are always the best thing. The trailers are always the best thing we're ever going to see. It's snippets of their best parts. And... We didn't get much of a, a way of um, teasers for this, for this um, fourth um, movie, and because the the Wachowskis didn't want to do any press release, didn't want to do any touring, didn't want to do any type of boost for the movie because they were afraid that it was going to take away from what they were trying to achieve. And do you know what? They didn't achieve fucking shit. I mean, I was gutted after I watched it. it like that, This is all my opinion too, by the way. Everyone's going to watch it and see it differently and that. But if you follow the story and you get to this movie, there's, there's just so much unanswered and there's so much that they gave you in this particular film that, you know, just it never got, it never got answered. They gave you all these points and twists and turns and nothing made sense. It was so messy. So messy. I mean, I'm trying to think of some good things to to focus on here. The complexity of the story. Is that, I mean, you could go the complex nature of this, this story of Matrix Resurrections. You could probably go that as hands down very cool how complexly, uh, how, how, how much how much writing went into it to make it so difficult to understand, I guess. I mean, I watched it with some friends last night, real late, and we paused like six, maybe seven times just to just to have a conversation about what we're watching. What do we understand? What What's going on? Like, is this connecting to this part of the Matrix or not? As I said, spoilers, you know, but I don't think I'm going to give anything away. There's nothing actually exciting to even give away. Um the movie kind of starts off where you start off in the first one, but it's from a viewpoint of two hackers named um, Seek and Bugs. Bugs has blue hair, she's female, and Sek or Seek is, from what I understand, 
he is Tank and Link, who are normally operators in the first one, two, three films, um, that sit behind the chair and they talk to whoever's inside the Matrix and gets them out via telephone and they watch the code and all this kind of stuff. But the way they do it in this film is that they actually produce um, Seek into the filming of the the movie for your viewpoint so when you see her talking to this guy who's essentially a hologram well that's him sitting behind a chair back on the spacecraft like the Nebuchadnezzar that um uh, Morpheus used to be on so they tried to change it up there and give you a little bit of a modern uh technical technological touch and it was so it was very confusing and of course they're watching on as this scene as this this thing called a modal m o d a l a modal starts to uh take place which is a a a program that someone's running and or reliving a program from somewhere else and they're watching on just going this this happens all the time and and we've been watching it and there's something in it and we're still searching for him. I assume they're talking about Neo and agents rock up the same way they did when Trinity was in the in the room with the phone and then she kicks the shit out of him. Well, there's this character that kicks the shit out of these cops and they have the same sort of nostalgic dialogue going on as you saw in the first one back in 99. And Bugs... The blue-haired girl that seems to be hacking into the matrix to see this particular modal somehow gets seen by the agents and one of them's uh, a black agent and he he sees her and then they start fighting and she's like not meant to be there but he sees something off here he's like what are you doing here like somehow he knew it was a program getting run over and over and over again and she managed to break through the firewall or whatever it was and she convinced him that he had a higher purpose and he believed that he had the same idea and he is the one we know as Morpheus. Now, Morpheus was never a program or an agent. He was a human being searching in the Matrix for the one known as Neo. But in this film at the start, He's been looking for Neo as you know in a way, but from a program point of view. And this girl opens that up and gives this guy a red pill, which the red pill scenario in the Matrix is when they give the person inside the Matrix a red pill, it sends back to the real world their tracing location of where they are being farmed so they can unplug them and bring him into Zion and tell them the stories about how the world is all fucked up and they live underground. But Morpheus, or the agent known as Morpheus, gets a blue a red pill and he gets taken out and brought into the Matrix again. Out of the program, out of that simulation that had been running over and over again of the Trinity scenario gets brought in to the matrix where he needs to unplug the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Anderson, Neo, who looks like a, well, 
He looks like a very, very old, forgotten John Wick. And this is where the confusion gets really crazy is that he's in the Matrix that you soon figure out and he is a computer gaming genius where he created a game called The Matrix and he created characters in The Matrix that were based off his fake life in The Matrix that he's stuck in while taking blue pills all the time. So his boss, who's an evil prick in this um, fantasy, is written into his game as Agent Smith. And the girl that he remembers from his subconscious, his subconscious mind, mind you, is still remembering times of the past, is Trinity, actually known as Tiffany. Then we have... That's where we have the confusion, right? Because at the end of the third Matrix, Matrix... um, uh, I'll reloaded the other one and he goes to the machine world and basically tells the machines that agent smith is going stronger and stronger and you can't control him and the only way is to let me get into the matrix and i'll take care of him at the backside of that is that neo understood that agent smith needed to copy himself inside of neo in order for the machines to kill him and make him cease to exist in the real world, which in turn kills Agent Smith, who's the program. Trinity now was already dead in that third film, but in the fourth film, the machines decided to keep Neo alive and somehow brought Trinity back to life and reinserted them back into the Matrix for the purposes of I don't know fucking what. There's some sort of machine uprising that they talk about, but I don't know why. They, they, they actually reset the Matrix, which was what they wanted in the second movie, what Neo was supposed to do, but he didn't. He went back and saved Trinity. He was supposed to walk through that other door on the right and reset the Matrix and then the story would start over again, thus keeping the humans in plugs and providing energy for the, um, the robots, the machines. But that didn't happen. And then we end up with a world of shit in the third movie and uh, Agent Smith, who's growing stronger and stronger like Skynet. So they kill off Neo and then, yeah, they reinsert him back into the Matrix with Trinity. But because his subconscious mind is still somehow connected to all the first three movies, he starts designing games based off what he seems to remember and flashbacks and flash moments and all this kind of shit. And it just, it just, the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie is so fucking messy. It's just so confusing and you don't know what's going on and you think it gets better and easier, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Uh, once, I mean, it, they even try to do nostalgia. Nostalgia doesn't work with this film for me. Nostalgia in Cobra Kai, that works all the time. I don't know why. Maybe because Cobra Kai or um, Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3 have some sort of moment in my, my younger days during my teen years or whatever, where I, I I watched a lot of it and it sort of makes a lot of sense and it's current to that that era. Whereas 1999, just on the verge of 2000, there's nothing to be nostalgic about. We're kind of on the forefront of technology racing through us and they keep releasing 
little moments, phrases, words, people, um, characters that relate back to the first three movies and they have no place for They just have no place there. I mean, I, you know, we're all hoping for something awesome and when when they finally, when, when Morpheus, and, and mind you, in this movie, the machines and the humans are all friends. They're getting along nicely. It's all good. And when they unplug Neo from, uh, sorry, when they finally get a hold of Neo from the Matrix, there's sentinels going around everywhere and this ship just cruises through and picks him up and takes him, takes him back to home. Now, sorry, I was like, whoa, hang on. What have we missed? Like, they're friends now? And what time? You don't even know the timeline. The timeline takes forever to get to. There's just no consistency. There's no, there's nothing. There's, there's simple things like someone talking about, um, talking to Neo or Mr. Anderson in the fake Matrix, so to speak, about something and how he understands that we were raised by machines. Like that part there, I was like, hold on, did he just say he was raised by machines? So he knows the Matrix is a computer-generated dream world and that the machines are raising him so he can be farmed for energy. He knows that. And then they go on to talk about something else that contradicts what he just said. So, man, I mean, just so frustrating. It, I, I, got, I got the fight. There's, no, there's hardly any fighting in it. Even if it is, it starts to get really dark and awkward in some of the battle scenes that they have. And I watched a silly little meme video the other day about how it says how Neo fought in 1999. And it's a picture of him one-handed with his arm tucked behind his back just defending off like crazy blocks from some Tai Chi master, which was um, Agent Smith at the end. And then they say how Neo actually fights in the latest movie. And it's just him doing some sort of street fighter um, uh, like um, what's the... Not Ken. Yeah, Ken does it as well. And Gaiu, I think it's Gaiu. He just throws his hand out and he just throws these mini force fields, invisible force fields out and just reflects, like just basically deflects everyone. And that's his fighting style throughout the entire movie. There's hardly any real fight scenes except for when he fights the computer-generated Morpheus. Now, once, once he gets freed... Let's go back a little bit. Once he gets freed and gets taken back on his ship, like you, he gets shaved and you see all of his little ports in his arm and all this kind of stuff, just like it was in the first one, he gets back and he's not in Zion anymore. They're above ground now. They're literally on the surface and the clouds and everything are above them. Like I'm like, that's a big step up. What's going on? Like when did this happen? Where's Morpheus? Where's, where's Roland? Where's... Commander Locke and all the people. Where's Link and Link's kids and, and so on and so on and so on. There's nothing. There's just these people that are hell-bent on the stories that they used to hear, hear when they were kids about Neo and Trinity and they need to find him. When they land in this, this so-called Sky Town, you've got, um, you've, you've got this very decrepit old woman with one really good side to her face and a really old side to her face and that's uh, Captain Nairobi, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, and she's in the second and third movies. She's the one that lent her ship to Neo and Trinity when he was blind to go towards the machine world. And when he comes back and sees her, she's not at all happy or stoked that he's back. She's literally like pissed off because 
him coming back signals the fact that the machines and them are going to have a problem again. And then they don't answer that question. They move on to the machines and the machines had a war between each other and there was some sort of uprising. Then they move on from that to something else. And I'm like, what, what? It just, then it becomes just this stupid love scene between Trinity and Neo, like a, a terrible episode out of Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck, Josh Hartnett and that little love triangle and Kate Beckinsale. It's, it's so loose and so, oh, so it's a disaster. In, I, I'm not even happy I saw it. I can't even find any good part about it. Not even a part where I go, yep, I like that. There probably was two things. Like I suppose you could say uh, um, uh, Seek, who is the guy in the chair on the, on the ship in the real world, uh, guiding the people in the Matrix around. The fact that they brought him out of the chair and some sort of hologram into the Matrix was pretty cool. But, you know, the other part is that Morpheus, when he is around, they figured out a way to create these little ball bearings that shape themselves into Morpheus in the real world. So they can actually talk to Morpheus from the Matrix in the real world from some sort of Superman, Krypton style technology like you see in the superman movie with russell crowe where they've got that image like you know the the bodies get shaped by the ball bearings or the whatever lead particles i don't know but they can literally talk to morpheus who's in the matrix now mind you remember we didn't even when they talked to captain uh, captain nairobi they talked about morpheus briefly but they don't tell you how he died or what happened or where he ended up just that Morpheus was a program in this movie is a program written by Mr. Anderson, who is the Matrix game designer. So, you've, like I said, re remember, recap, you've got his evil boss in his so-called real world that he writes into the game as Agent Smith. He's got the love of his life that he can't seem to forget about in his subconscious mind, who he writes in as Trinity but she walks around the coffee shops that he goes to regularly as Tiffany, who's married with two kids and loves motorcycles and can't help but wonder that her character is built off this girl in the game called Trinity. That's how they spark up conversation. And the other one that's written into it is Morpheus, who he wrote him in as an agent for some stupid reason. I lose train of thought just trying to explain it. Just... This podcast alone is, I mean, I've, as I said, I've got passion for movies and I love looking into the goods and the bads and finding out all the trivia. And I haven't even looked up the trivia for this movie. I don't want to know it. They throw Neil Patrick Harris in it from fucking How I Met Your Mother, who everyone knows is freaking Doogie Howser. And he's in this movie and he's actually the bad robot. He is the bad guy, but he acts as Neo's therapist who's keeping him under control of the blue pill. And he found out a way to control people in the Matrix through a so-called um, algorithm that Neo had made available to them from the first film called Deja Vu. And that's the black cat that you see. So Neil Patrick Harrick's been the uprising machine in this, this scenario, created a loop where he can call upon the Deja Vu program and... If he ever gets into a fight with Neo, well, he can slow him down and make him relive the moment over and over again until he figures out whatever loophole weakness in the human society or the human race that he wants. They don't even answer that question. 
they just basically show you a picture of a black cat and the black cat's drinking from a water bowl and the name on the water bowl is Deja Vu. And he says, ha-ha, thanks for that. Thanks for that little Easter egg kind of thing. And it's like, what does that mean? Neo didn't create it. And let, let's get back to that part. When Neo did say Deja Vu in the first movie, does that mean the, the machines were watching every move they made inside the Matrix in the first film so that they could save the fact that he mentioned Deja Vu about a black cat and then 60 years later, they give that to this new uprising machine and he creates a program off the back of the deja vu algorithm. And if you're lost right now listening to what I'm saying, just imagine how I fucking felt watching this movie. Oh, if you're lost right now, it's because I'm doing my absolute hardest to explain. And if, I, if I'm not explaining it correctly, it's because that's the way I feel the movie was given to me even with six pauses throughout the movie with five-minute conversations with my friends that we're watching it with and all of various ages, uh, 16, 40, 30, the ages varied. So it wasn't like it was a, a group of 41-year-olds with the same sort of brain capacity to understand movies in that era. No, we had, a, we had a variety of age groups basically being confused the whole time. And the movie was so vibrant in color too. And I'm assuming that has something to do with the little Indian girl from the sec uh, from the third movie, where they met the train man, um, Santi. Her parents were going for deletion, but they had struck a deal with the Merovingian so that their daughter could survive. Well, she comes in this movie and she plays a, I guess you could say a pretty big part in the storyline, but ultimately fails on the backside of it. It just she does some shit and you don't actually end up knowing what she's doing. And then when she talks about some of the things that her dad used to do, they once again don't explain any further onto that. All I know is that she was responsible for the sunset at the end of the third movie with the Oracle sitting beside her. And she said, well, will we ever see Neo again? And she says, I, I suspect so, I guess. And we're all excited about her fourth movie. And that was 20 years ago. And she said, I made that sunset for him. And this whole movie is all about the sun. So much sun. I'm like, I'm sorry, but the first three Matrix, it was all about gothic, dark, rainy, black and green style backdrops um, because it was the Matrix. It was a dark part of the computer system, which wasn't meant to be. It was a reflect, almost like a reflection of the, the world Zion. They were underground in darkness with no natural sunlight. And the Matrix was a computer world that has a has a artificial sun or a digital sun. And yeah, it's just there's nothing I can give you that I believe to be good about this movie. Nothing. Um, the ending was disastrous the the link between neo and agent smith now agent smith which rumors said that hugo weaving was supposed to play him but he had a scheduling conflict with a play that he was doing and couldn't come back but i was like if you if he i believe he actually read the script and i'd like to think the guy just went this is dog shit i'm not coming back for it because you would have dropped everything to come back for the fourth matrix if you were hugo weaving and you were a massive, massive part of the first three films. But in this one, they replaced him with, with this American guy, young kid. Um, and he was always moving in slow-mo. Like, I'll bring it up. The guy, I, 
I've seen him in a film before, but Jonathan got, uh, Groff, that's his name. Now, I I remember him from, geez, it's not even a movie. I'm scrolling literally now, and I've seen his face before. And they always move him in slow motion, like he's walking around in slow motion. And I'm like, why are they doing that? And when him and Neo fight, it's like their code was rewritten so that um, they can't hurt each other. So every time they fight, they ricochet back off each other. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? And they don't explain. Um, and there's a whole scene where there's just a massive bunch of these uh, Matrix humans that have uh, what they call a swarm mode and their eyes turn black with matrix code running down them and then they just start attacking like it's something out of Walking Dead or Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um, Army of the Dead, all those types of movies. These guys just, they use them as bombs and weapons. They jump off buildings and try to spear themselves into the car as Neo and Trinity ride off on a motorcycle, which haven't done my research, but the motorcycle looked fairly similar to that of Keanu Reeves' actual design that he makes in real life called Arch Motorcycle. So I'm hoping they weren't doing some sort of bike promo. I don't think Keanu's like that. The guy's a fucking legend. But, you know, he did his best to shine in this film. But it wasn't enough for me to just to be blown away, you know. So, look, it's not a hilariosity. It's kind of... It's, there's a lot of humor to it if you're just laughing and shaking your head just going what are they what are they doing where are they going where's the connection what's so funny about that how'd they escape when they've never escaped before how'd they get in how they how did the sentinels not pick it just all those questions that are going around my head like a fucking pinball machine just just begs to see how this movie even survived in the first place and, and funny enough no one really talks about this movie I feel like I'm the first one to do a review. I'm waiting for my man Chris Stuckman to do a review, and even he hasn't done one. I know he's going to be a lot more humble than I am, and he's actually a really good reviewer, and that's his industry. He's a director as well, and screen, and he does all his own stuff. So he has a really good investment in talking about films from various angles. But me, I'm a plumber. I don't give a shit. I just watched it and was ultimately disappointed about it. So, you know... 30 minutes I just talked about this movie. Holy shit. I mean, that tells you how disappointed I really am. But you want to watch it. I mean, do yourself a favor. Watch the one, two, and three and hold those things to the highest fucking standard you possibly could because they are worth the standard. And then watch number four and just go, what? What? Or if you haven't watched any of them, just watch number four and just take it for what it is and move on. Hopefully... For you girls, your sake, you might get a five, six, and a seven. But no, I don't. I didn't. I don't want any more. I don't even want. I don't think the fourth one was even necessary. I thought they answered everything in the one, two, and three. It was kind of a cool story. But anyway, you know, as for being back, um, jumping on the platform and talking on my Chaos Movies podcast, uh, I was pretty excited the fact that I just did thirty one minutes. I mean, as I said, I don't I don't hate much. I don't hate the movie. I just I just really wish they'd I don't know, not an expert. I just wished from my perspective they handled it differently or stretched it over maybe two movies and answered a lot of questions and spent more time on certain scenes and 
and stuff like that. But, you know, it is what it is and it's a review and this is, uh, you know, to say the movie is terrible is not even being critical. Clearly my podcast um, uh, is letting you know that. So once again, thanks for jumping back on. I appreciate your ears and I'll find maybe Ghostbusters Afterlife to talk about or Spider-Man, which they will be refreshing to watch when I get the chance. So thanks for listening, guys. It's uh, Chris on Chaos Movies, available on all platforms. And I'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.